Hello, and welcome to ROE 17 Pod. My name is Molly Allen, and I'm the Assistant Regional Superintendent of Schools for ROE 17. Today on the pod, our guest is Ashley Aper, who works as an administrator at Chester East Lincoln and Hartsburg Emden in Logan County. Welcome, Ashley. Hi, Molly. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're excited. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to become an educator? Sure. To be honest, I didn't have this dream of always being a teacher or being going into education. I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was always drawn to either education, nursing, or something in the medical field. I ended up having about five different majors in my undergrad. So needless to say, it took me a little longer to get through, but I knew that I wanted to have a career that involved serving others. Special education included teaching, the teaching aspect, as well as some of the medical stuff that we naturally deal with. Mm -hmm. And then I had two sisters who were in social work at the time, and they both thought it would be a really good fit. I actually, my oldest sister was a school social worker. And so she knew more about special ed than I did at the time. So that was interesting. And then once I got into the program, I loved how there were so many different aspects of special education. I liked being able to dive into one area at a time when I was at ISU, and that program was amazing. It exposed me to all the different programs and all the different disabilities, and some of them pushed me out of my comfort zone, but I ended up loving something about each one of them. That's awesome. Can you tell us, we'll talk about both of your roles, but Mm -hmm. what inspired you to become a principal? Well, I naturally started volunteering for some leadership type roles when I was teaching. And then as that continued, and I thought further about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to end up, I figured I had to get started before I started my family. And so I started the master's program for educational leadership. And although I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a principal, I did enjoy the special ed administration side of things. But overall, I'm thrilled that I have the opportunity to do both. I actually started my administration career as a special ed administrator for Tri-County Special Ed and worked with them for three years. And I served Leroy, Chester East Lincoln, and Hartsburg Emden. And then when an opportunity came up for me to do have the dual role at Chester East and Hartsburg, I couldn't pass it up. I missed working with the kids. I felt like I was able to do my job as a special ed administrator, but I didn't like the idea of not being in the district more, each district more, because I felt like I couldn't really follow through with plans that were put in place or anything like that. And then, you know, another bonus for me is the fact that not only do I get to work with kids more now, but connecting with their families, that's been a huge blessing to me. That's fantastic. And you do have a really unique position. And I do think serving as a special ed administrator is probably interesting for our audience in that depending on their own experience and their own children they may not actually realize that our schools do have special education administrators. So you serve as the special ed admin in two districts. Can you tell us what does that role look like and how do you serve those districts and students? Well, as with any type of special education programming, the role of the special ed administrator is different from district to district, depending on the needs 
of this, the population of the students. So at Chester East, my role is kind of morphed in with the principal role. But overall, I see the special education programs in the two districts. I do a lot of paperwork and then help problem solve situations. So that may include observations, connecting different services, providing feedback. And then also I've done some professional development. I've presented to some groups of people in regards to IEPs versus 504s and autism and executive functioning. Those were kind of my my wheelhouse. I taught in the classroom. I taught an emotionally disturbed classroom, which I ended up loving. And so that has kind of been my area that I like to focus on. So yeah, so that's that's basically it. I do the paperwork at them in the meetings and then help with families. It is a very confusing process. One thing that I find a lot is parents that come in for whether it's for problem solving or for an IEP meeting, if they received special education services themselves, they will attribute and think that current special education services are the same as they were 20 or 30 years ago. And that is absolutely not the case. I'm proud of where we are now with special education and and inclusion. It's no longer you go to a classroom all by yourself with one or two other people and sit in a small room and it's no longer like that. So that's exciting. That is. And to your point, Ashley, it can be incredibly overwhelming for parents to navigate the system. And and sometimes even in our own educational world, we have our own vocabulary and words and acronyms and things that can be very confusing. So what advice- What advice would you give a parent if they see that their child is having trouble in school and what could that parent expect in terms of timeline process accommodations for IEPs? You know, first and foremost, I completely agree. And I think we get caught up in the education lingo. And you're right, there are tons of acronyms. And sometimes, and I've I've caught myself doing this as well, if we're in a meeting and we start using those acronyms and then I look at the parent and I'm like, oh, oops, they have no idea what what I'm talking about. So first and foremost, it is extremely important to remember that kids learn in different ways at different rates. And if a parent has a concern, their first step should be their child's teacher, whether it is a social concern or academic, but that communication with the teacher is essential because if a parent is seeing certain challenges at home, the teacher can either closely monitor that or, and that's if they're not already, or they can provide additional context to the parent, meaning what they see versus what home sees may be completely different because as we all know, kids act and perform differently at school versus home. If that struggle continues um, or if the parent doesn't feel like, you know, that that's helping very much, the parent or the the teacher can absolutely request a problem-solving meeting. In every district, it looks a little bit different, but then there we bring in different experts. So for example, our problem-solving meetings always include our school social worker and our school psychologist, and I have an amazing team. Brittany Kemp and Julie Hesse are phenomenal, and they bring a lot to the table. They bring not only years of experience, but just a different way of looking at things that I don't always have. So that is always extremely helpful. And then parents need to remember that they are their child's advocate and they know them better than anyone. But oftentimes we do find students, you know, they do act different at school versus home. From there, and once again, I encourage parents if they ever have any questions, if the teacher doesn't know it, I work with amazing teachers and if they don't know the answer, they're going to come and ask or they're going to push the parent to reach out to me. And I would rather explain and re-explain to parents because it is so confusing. I never want a parent to feel less than or that they are just a fly on the wall instead of a member of that team. Once it's determined that a student may require special education services, the evaluation is initiated. 
and the team will schedule a domain meeting and we'll discuss eight different areas and we'll go over how the student is performing in each of those areas, what information we want to collect, and then who's going to collect it. And then parents sign consent for that evaluation and then the team has 60 school days to complete it. Once that 60 days is up or once the evaluation is complete, we will come back together and go over all the results, which can be extremely daunting for parents. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people involved in an evaluation, and sometimes I, I try to lighten up the mood a little bit in the meetings and we kind of joke around a little bit about how many people are in there, but it's all because we want that child to succeed. And from there, we will talk about eligibility, whether the student receives is eligible to receive those services in one of the 13 categories, or we might consider a 504 plan, which is, I've written more 504 plans over the past few years than anything. That's a whole other ball of wax, but it's kind of like a cousin to IEPs. So Ashley, that's a great explanation of a very complicated process. And I think what an asset, because as you said, you know, ultimately we are all on the team of that student success and wanting them to do well. And you certainly have assembled and lead a very strong team that engages in that process. So thank you for your time today and explaining that kind of complicated piece, but it is such a great asset for our family members and listeners that are trying to navigate those pieces. So thank you for your time and thank you for your leadership. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for another episode of ROE 17 Pod. To learn more about ROE 17, please visit www.roe17.org or follow us on our social media channels. ROE 17 Pod is produced and edited by Victoria Padilla. We hope that you join us for our next episode.